All three members of the Brisbane Football Review have dried out after a wet, wild and occasionally entertaining week of football here in South East Queensland. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of the podcast. It's James Scott and Adam here with you this afternoon, coming a day later thanks to midweek action from the A-League with the Raw recording a dramatic 2-1 win over Western United on Wednesday evening up at Morton Daly Stadium and also playing a nil-nil draw in a water polo fixture on Saturday afternoon. Adam, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Scott, uh, I can see a few towels in the background. Were they just uh, brought back from the match? No, yeah, exactly. I've got my supplies ready for the next time it turns into a water polo game up there at Morton Daly Stadium. I'm ready to go. Well, that's good to hear. You know, preparedness is key for a lot of things, and... Uh, well, I kind of feel like the Raw were prepared for what was going to be a fairly rough and draining couple of matches over the last few days, which basically had to be played because there was no other option about when those uh, games could take place due to, well, frankly, already a number of postponements. But we've got a lot to talk about, thankfully, uh, thanks to the final 45 or even 30 minutes of last night's game on the show. Before we do that, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook, uh, The Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. Uh, podcast, obviously, available on Wooshka, Spotify, iTunes, and a bunch of other good podcast platforms. Uh, remember to like, rate, subscribe, and share because, well, we want more people listening to us. And, frankly, we don't have an advertising budget. So this is as good as we can get. Right, Adam? It is. Uh... Yeah, but like I said, you want to throw some advertising dollars our way, more than happy to plug whatever you like. That's legal. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that could be very, very dangerous, that statement there, by the way. That's why I threw in the disclaimer. Yeah, I can think of a few uh, venues that um, would be very interesting to have to promote, but let's not go down that alley. Let's, in fact, uh, don our swimming gear and flash back to a very damp Saturday afternoon and... Well, I think the overall uh, feeling between the three of us for most of Saturday was there's no way that the Raw and uh, Knicks game could go ahead at Morton Daly Stadium considering the deluge that had hit for most of the day. But, Scott, it went ahead. Some kits were made a bit dirty, and I really don't think there's a whole lot else to uh, cover from that match, is there? No, and it probably shouldn't have gone ahead in all seriousness because the pitch was waterlogged and you could tell from the warm-up with the two teams, the ball wasn't rolling fully in the warm-up, let alone during the game. So it was barely playable. And as you said earlier, the only reason it went ahead was more than likely the fact that the Raw have no flexibility left in their schedule. They've got to play these games. There's, there was no possible date that would work to be able to play that game. So they had to play it and... It was like most games you see where it's a waterlogged pitch, James. It was it was hard to move the ball on the ground and you had to put crosses into the box and try and flick things on and all the rest of it. It wasn't the most outstanding advertisement for football, but I think at the end of that's probably a point that both sides would be relatively happy with given given what they had to deal with. 
definitely. And uh, I do have a question for the mayor of Moreton Bay. Does anything drain up in your area? <laughs> oh, probably not. I'll have to, have to check that. But uh, yeah, look, it was a heavy, heavy pitch. Um, look, it was, like, to take a uh, horse racing pile on, it was a heavy pitch. It was a heavy track, you know, from a Metropolitan meet. That was a heavy track of Ruokaka on a Tuesday afternoon. If you want to know where real Kaka is, look it up. But uh, yeah, look, I think it was at the very, very edge as far as, you know, even being allowed to go ahead. And I think it was influenced, as Scott said, by the fact that the the fixturing, the scheduling for the rest of the way for the Raw is there is no more space. It is it is down to every every possible fixture without violating the 72-hour rule is, is gone for the Raw. So like I said... This is desperate times call for desperate measures, and otherwise, I don't think this game happens. Yeah, Mr. Mayor, we've had a, a waterlogged pitch at Dolphins, and, now, and we've had the lights go out at Walter Park a few years ago. Can you just sort this out, please? <laughs> Come on, Mr. Mayor. Although, I do think that yes, I do yes. think the one thing that we can all agree on, it was still in better shape than some of the pitches the Roar have had to play on at Suncorp over the years, because I remember <laughs> after... I think it might have been a U2 concert in about 2010, where... The pitch was actually about four or five different colours, in including a shade of brown. So, it's not well, as. You think back to the Raw v Knicks game at Suncorp, which was called off. Yeah, actually, for being waterlogged. So that's a very good call. Yeah, I, I actually completely forgotten about that. So, well done, Scott. Um, yeah, the other point on that as well is, you know, I think you have to give the ground staff a little bit of credit for just getting something together from that um, surface just to at least give the players a chance to play. And look, we can't really go into too much detail because I do feel like that is sort of, it, you kind of almost have to throw it out in terms of analysing the form and performance from that because the conditions were such an anomaly. And I would be stunned if we see anything close to that again for the rest of the season. But yeah, it was a point that the Raw would have been happy with. But did you ever wish that they'd had someone like a Josh Kennedy where they could have just said, all right, screw it, all game, we're just throwing uh, throwing in crosses, seeing if uh, seeing if we can just get ahead on the ball? Because I feel like that's pretty much the only way you can score in those conditions. Uh, look, to be honest, it wasn't that bad a game as far as, you know, obviously the game suffered as far as, you know, not being able to be free-flowing because obviously the pitch just was just so waterlogged that the, the passes were being shorter and all that. But as far as the skill itself goes, so it wasn't... Uh, it was very entertaining. Let's, let's just call it that. It, it was an entertaining game. Um, both keepers had to do some work and um, as, as well some, you know, some desperate scramble from time to time. So, so yeah, but um, other than that, yeah, it's, it was gonna, always going to be tough to see a result. And I think, I think nil all... At the end of the day, I think it was pretty much a fair result. A bit like, a bit like that game in the wind uh, against Newcastle, um, you know, a couple of months back, where pretty much, you know, the conditions controlled the tempo of the game. But uh, yeah, neither team can find an answer or that, that just that to find take the opportunity. Scott, I'm going to risk being heckled here, James, and maybe booed a little bit. But this might have been a good game to bring goal goal on, actually. No, with his, with his bit of his bit of extra height, maybe getting on the end of something. We saw in Newcastle against Wellington, actually. Funnily enough, he was able to get on the end of something late in the game with his head. So maybe it was the sort of game where a, a cross in from Corey Brown or something, he gets himself on the end of and the Raw win one nil. But yeah, either way, it's yeah. just maybe that maybe that might have worked. But yeah, it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be a free flowing 
30 odd pass goal to win the game that's for sure no absolutely not it definitely would have been a uh, what's the right way to put this uh, English old English style of uh, play route one and just hope for the best I don't, I don't even know if anyone actually kicked the ball more than 30 yards I know uh, Oliver <laughs> Sale uh, tried and he ended up on his ass <laughs> Uh, that would, might have been the highlight of the game, actually, because there wasn't much else that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we're not going to go into that game in too much detail, but uh, we will get the three, two, ones, and I believe it is Scott's turn for that. Oh, so, it's Adams. Adam. Okay. Uh, so three points yeah, for the be... line marking machine. Um, two points for the person with the squeegee, and one point for the person uh, who had to assemble the dugouts. Is that about right? Yeah, that was pretty close, uh, <laughs> actually. But, but in, all, in all seriousness, three points to Kai Truen, who I thought had a who had a great game. It was gonna, always going to be a, defend, a defensive game, and he made a made a huge, um, you know, double block near the end to deny you know, um, deny Wellington sort of late. So, but overall, he just he had a great game, and his form. So, you know, has really, sort of the last few weeks, has been very, very good. Two points, Jamie Young, obviously kept a clean sheet. And uh, one point for Joey Chapness. He toiled hard, um, sort of tried, tried to spark, you know, the attack. But again, the conditions were sort of just probably a little bit too much for him. But like, he still, he tried hard and he feels worth the point. Yeah, it wasn't really a game for the flair players. The one question I do want to ask quickly before we move on to uh, discussing last night's game. Are we too precious with the pitches here in Australia? Because that's one thing that I've always... It has always rankled me, and I'm sure I've brought this up on the podcast before, but do we really need every surface to be a you know, perfectly manicured carpet, uh, expecting it to be like the Emirates Stadium over in London? At some point, shouldn't we just learn and say okay the pitches are going to have a few bumps here and there shouldn't we just eventually get on with it and say all right let's just work with what we've got you actually um you actually pretty much answered your own question there and the reason why there's this expectation that every pitch needs to be flat and and green is because of the premier league and because of the exposure you see you know those grand stadiums over there that that is seems it seems to be the expectation it's not a realistic one but that seems to be expectation that you know that every foo- uh, every football club you know in the A League n- deserves its own stadium, and that you know the only people that actually get onto it uh, is the first team or maybe the maybe the ladies team, and, and and that's it. And that's it's just it's just so far from you know reality here in Australia. But with that said, you also don't want the dust bowls and the and the muddy pitches that we've that we've seen in yesteryear. So I think it's that balance where you know. You're not you're not going to get a perfectly flat pitch that's yeah you know, that's only been used once a week, but also as well you don't want to get you know dust bowls and you know and there's heavy soggy pitches like like we've seen you know at you know Dolphin Stadium the last two games. But again, that's a victim of the circumstances more than oh it's a bad pitch that's been prepared by a ground crew that doesn't give a stuff. They give they really do give a stuff. But what can you do? I to get the game on. Just on, just on that as well, it is for, uh, further evidence for my theory that most Australians who claim to love football don't actually watch the Premier League outside of the Big Six because, like, you go look at uh, Brighton, you go look at Hull, you go look at Wigan, a lot of those clubs in the bottom half of the Premier League and the rest of the English football pyramid, and there are some dreadful glue pots over there that, you, that we always complain about the Socceroos playing on in the Middle East as well. So, 
as far as yeah, as far as I'm concerned, like that that's something that should also again I'm not criticizing the, uh, Warren Moon and you know previous Royal coaches for this as what uh, by any stretch, but at some point you just need to say, all right, maybe we don't have the pitch where we can play, you know, total football on it. Maybe we do have to just go a little bit direct, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. And just quickly, you talk about Premier League clubs and people getting access to fields. Um, I know one ground where you can get access to it apparently quite easily. <laughs> but but it, look, in all, to answer your question, James, I mean, yes, we are a bit too precious with the fields. I will say the field on Saturday was was probably shouldn't have been played on, but in general, the answer to the question is yes. And also, Adam mentioned Kai True, and he has been exceptional in the last couple of games in that central defensive role filling for Tom Aldred. He's been absolutely fantastic, and he's shown he is more than more than just a, a backup centre back. He's someone who can play regularly. Yeah, and I'll use Kai True as the uh, pivot point to move on to last night's game because. Since he's gone and uh, dropped into that central role to fill in uh, for Tom Aldred, his game's gone to a whole other level, and I really can't fault anything he's... Well, a whole lot of anything that he's done, because Truen's just been uh, remarkable, and he helped the Raw to that 2-1 win last night, uh, coming up with some pretty big tackles at him. Yeah, absolutely. No, so this is... When you try try and defend you know, a market player like... You know, best up Arisha, and then also as well, you know, the it, it's the I guess creative guile of uh, Ali Diamante. You know, to to sort of to keep it all together. You know, especially a player of his age and of, of his you know, lack of experience. You know, so to speak. You know, it was a, it was a mighty effort, but also as well, it's a great effort. You know, slotting in with uh, Scott Neville and Macaulay Gillespie. Yeah, uh, and, and so that those three, it's a, like it just seems as though it seems to work, and. Um, as uh, I think Warren Moon, uh, quite, I don't know if he'll be in the uh, audio grab that we have, is that, you know, you know that Warren Moon sort of joked and said, you know, it, it may be difficult to find a spot for Tom Aldred. That was probably a joke, but but yeah, like I said, but, you would, but I think the point is they don't have to rush back Tom Aldred at 50% or whatever because of the performances of Kai Truen, you know, especially, you know, in that back three. And it does speak to that defensive depth as well, where... Also sitting on the bench, you've got Jordan Courtney Perkins, who, as we've speculated, could be a ready-made replacement for Macaulay Gillespie next season. Yeah, he could be, and he's probably someone who would like a bit of game time. I'm sure he'll get some in the next couple of weeks, given the run of games. But that back line, James, it's, it's, um, it's working really well, isn't it? Just the, the ability that Warren Moon's got in that back line to be able to bring players in and take players out and continue to get solid performances from them it's a real, real strength of this team because, as we talked about, Kai Truen has stepped in for in that role of Tom Aldred and hasn't missed a beat. And yes, he was subbed last night, but he wasn't subbed on his own performance. That was a tactical switch and keeping the two experienced defenders on in Neville and Gillespie. So it was, well, that's what it was about. And you know, the best way to sum up the defence at the moment, James, is the ability to switch between the three fullbacks and not miss a beat. And it's actually raising the game of all three. Because yes. Josh Brindle South's impact in the team when he gets his chance is is forcing mm. Hingit and Brown to raise their game to another level, and there's real competition there now. And that's the that is there's it's still at competition. That's where the real competition is for spots in the Raw team at the moment, I think. Because Kai, look, Tom Walder will come back, and someone's got to miss yeah. out. Yeah. And at the moment, Kai Truen's playing that well. You almost wouldn't want to leave him out. Absolutely. Now, 
On to the actual game itself uh, against Western United. I know Adam and I were having a fairly lengthy conversation around lunchtime yesterday, looking at the conditions, looking at the radar, and we both thought that there was um, a certain financial value in expecting a nil-nil draw (laughs) based on the fact that the pitch was fairly waterlogged on Saturday and chances are I was going to be in a very similar state. Uh, is that a fair summary, Adam? Yeah, and after, <laughs> and after about 59 minutes, I was starting to dream about how I was going to spend that money until <laughs> until Lachlan Wales came on. But but yeah, um, it, it's it, it was a you know it was it was looking that way for for a while there, and it just shows as well that you know well it was a, de- a great sub, but you know from from you know Mark Rudan, you know to, to bring Lock and Wales, it sort of changed changed sort of the tempo of the game, you know, with that substitution, and it paid off immediately. It was almost like you know the raw defence were lights out for 60 minutes, and then that sub came on, and it was just that one spark that needed, and he was through and um you know and, and beat Jamie Young. So and, and, and like I said, that that is the is the best defence in the league at the moment, and conceding a goal a goal a game. Yeah, it was. Say the line, James. Say the line. Uh, when they're watching the replay of this game on a USB, they'll have uh, the goalkeeper to thank for it being nil-nil to that point. Is that the right line? No. <laughs> no, no, no. You said it a few times. I'm actually drawing anyway, a blank. it doesn't matter. Don't worry, move on. Okay. I'm sure that was funny in your mind. That's the important yeah. thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, overall, I... I'm fairly certain that um, is Ryan Scott, the Western United goalkeeper. Yeah, I'm fairly certain Wenzel Hall's at one point wanted to just go and kick him in the shins or something because he had a couple of phenomenal saves to deny Wenzel Hall's in that first half. Um, and frankly, I wouldn't have blamed uh, Dylan if he decided to just go and do that because, well, that's exactly what a goalkeeper's job is: frustrate the opposition strikers. But as you said, though, Adam, it was yeah that game really opened up and it did need that sort of flashpoint to kick things off. We did almost have one in the first half, though, with a fairly hefty challenge from Macaulay Gillespie on Bessart Barisha. And look, I think we all know that uh, Barisha has a flair for the dramatic. And after the game, he said, you know, that was the worst pain he's ever felt in his footballing career. And he thought he'd never play again. Sure. Okay. But um, was he right to say that it probably should, it was a leg breaker and should have been a red card, Scott? Uh, look, I mean, I'll, also what Warren Moon did say in the press conference that he wouldn't have complained either way. So I'll start with that. But to me, look, it's not play acting. He's been fouled and pretty hardly fouled. I don't know if it's a red card or not, but he's been pretty hardly fouled. So I don't think it's play acting by any sense of the word. And I thought it was, if it had been given, I wouldn't have complained. But I thought he, I thought a yellow would have, would suffice for it. But it was a pretty strong challenge from McCall, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I don't think there will be anyone arguing that it wasn't, at the very bottom of the scale, a yellow card. But it might not have been play-acting, but it was certainly exaggeration on Barisha's part, from my mind, just solely because of the fact that he was back on the pitch a couple of minutes later and seemingly moving relatively freely. So if that's the worst pain he's felt in his career, either he was exaggerating or... You know, he just somehow hasn't been tackled all that hard. 
Ah, that's just best. Like yeah. I said, uh, like I said, that that doesn't go anywhere near the number of roles that he's uh, that he's done after a crunching tackle over his career. So I don't know what the what the big deal is about that. But um, yeah, look, uh, I, I agree that you know it was a, it was a yellow like it was one, what we call that that orange card that you know it was a heavy yellow and probably Macaulay Gillespie can count as lucky stars yeah you know, that he stays on because yes we have seen that being given red but. You know, it's one of those ones where, you know, yeah, if it, if it was showing red straight red for that, you know, it'd be hard, it'd be hard to argue. I think that was, that was a ref's call. Yeah, I, I do think that's also where the conditions probably helped save Gillespie because watching it live, I honestly thought Gillespie was just trying to place his foot to try and just body block Barisha and uh, his foot just didn't catch in the turf and he just basically slid through him. But watching it on replay, I think, yeah, there's not a whole lot they could have really said had it have been a red card. Now when you were watching it on TV, James. Did the um, did the Lord of the VAR call for it to be checked? Uh, they checked it and said that uh, it was a, a crunching challenge. Yeah, but I honestly can't remember off the top of my head if they said it was a red card or not. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, unfairly criticise when I'm having a senile moment. I think I think it's probably one thing that may have actually saved um, Macaulay Gillespie as well as the fact that we do know it was a it was a wet slippery pitch. So it does sort of, you know, I'm not saying this is what's written in the um, the rules of the laws of the game, but but uh, it may have sort of you know been the difference between sort of intent versus you know just recklessness. And as far as you know, did, did he slide? He missed time his slide, you know, which ended up clattering him. Whereas, you know, on a dry day, if he sort of, you know, makes that lunge, you could say, well, there was intent to cut him down. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not defending either side. I think it's just, I think it's interesting that that may have come into the thought process of, you know, of the referee as well as, you know, the VAR in deciding, you know, what was the punishment on that or whether there was need to be an upgrade or not. Well, I will say one thing watching the game at home, because the action kind of, took place, I don't want to say off-camera, but right on the edge of frame, it's not like they really had a clear angle of the... Um, a clear definitive angle of the challenge, because trying to watch it, I kept trying to uh, wait for that, you know, proper camera right there, but because they were tracking the ball, it wasn't necessarily um, front and centre in the picture. So, I look, I would not be at all surprised if we found out, you know, under truth here from the VR, they were just like, well... I couldn't make a clear, definitive decision because it was right on the corner of my picture. And I think that's also the interesting part about, um, I guess, I don't want to sort of open up that can of worms again, but about VAR is that, you know, what what is the minimum prescribed number of camera angles that you need for it to be effective? Now, we, we saw, we saw, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it shortly, but we saw another decision that was given on VAR thanks to a camera that sort of, in a way, looked a little dodgy. Um, look, I'm not going to disagree with that decision, but, uh, hang on, is he awake? <laughs> so yeah, you, you mentioned VAR, <laughs> I fell asleep, sorry. <laughs> you yeah, should have had the cricket's uh, sound effect, but, yeah, no, no. <laughs> someone should have just um, gone and give, given Scott a little zap or something with a camera yeah. prop. But, <laughs> you, no, but, you, but, yeah, yeah, no, but the, the, just to, to finish off a point, that's sort of where I think that... Um, I guess that question about the VAR goes is that, you know, if they don't have a decent, if they don't have enough camera angles to be able to scribe, especially stuff off the ball, well, then what are we doing? Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Well, I, they probably didn't yeah. have a clear angle of it, but yeah. I mean, um, they would have looked at it and 
Yeah. I think both coaches pretty much said the same thing in the press yeah. conference. It could have been a red card. Pretty much agreed it was what Adam said, one of those orange cards where it goes either way. Yeah, even, even Mark Rudan in his, in his press, he didn't really... He wasn't going off saying, oh, it should have been. He sort of... I think, I think he, no, he made his point clear, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, well... Yeah, well, con- considering VR also got the uh, Wenzel Hall's handball correct later in the uh, match, I don't think you can have too many complaints about the application in this fixture. Speaking of, uh, that goal, which could have been the match winner, but turned out to not be, came after Josh Brindle South got his second goal for the club in four games, um, thanks to some brilliant work by Alex Parsons, and once again, look, we've sung the praises of Parsons before, and I don't really want to go into too much more detail because, well, I feel like that might be getting a little bit onto the creepy stage, Scott. But uh, it was another impact sub as the Raw were forced to chase down the deficit. It was. West United got their goal through an impact sub. Lockie Wales, I think Luke Dazelle came on at the same time. He had an impact in that goal. So sub certainly had an impact in the game. But yeah, look, good, great finish from Josh Brindle South. This is what we know he does, James. I mean, not just his solid defensive, but he gets forward into the penalty area and he can finish. We've seen that now twice in the last four games. It was okay. It was probably harder to miss than score from there, but he gets into those sort of positions. And if you get into those sort of positions, you can take advantage of it. And that's what Josh Brindle South brings. And I thought, I thought it just it just sums up what he brings to the team. And I think now that we're seeing him play on a more regular basis, I think we're I think we're going to see this more and more from him. This is what he did at Lions, and it's a good finish. But yeah, yeah. I just, it's just it's hard to go too hard on it James because it's a it's a two yard tap in let's be honest but it was still good you've got, got to be in the position to do that and as a right yeah. wing back to be there that's what makes him valuable yeah uh, look I think yeah Alex Parsons uh, like Lockie Wales for Western United he, he was the circuit breaker for for the Raw and, you know he got in good space a great great shot and you know like I said he actually drew a parry out of um, out of Ryan Scott who up to that point had been you know, basically you know you know impossible and um and yeah like I said it was it was, it was a great shot it, it sort of parried off into um Josh Brindle South's you know where he where he was at and yeah he, he fired at home he, I think he hit the uh the roof before it hit the back of the net um the roof of the net and uh yeah but again I, I agree with Scott I think it's more of a case of yeah it's a very very easy finish but you've got to be there because how many times do we see it in modern football where you're thinking where's the you know where's the guy on the far post to, to fire at home well, if it's Timo Werner, then it could uh, occasionally be fired over the crossbar, even from close range. <laughs> Probably true, but look, I mean, just on the parrying thing, it's something that I don't know if the Raw noticed it during the game, but Ryan Scott was parrying a lot of shots last night, particularly in the first half. It wasn't just that one which he parried into the path of Brindle South. There were a couple of others which he parried as well. So maybe they maybe they did notice something in his goalkeeping that they could take advantage of. Yes, we know he did really, really well with the... Um, the reflex saves his legs and all the rest yeah. of it, but he parried a couple as well, so maybe they picked up on something with him over the course of the game. Absolutely. Uh, it was, at the other end of the pitch, it was, you know, a fair team effort with the defending where uh, Corey Brown cleared a cleared a ball off, let's say off the goal line, because once again, that's based on uh, the camera angles we had. Live, I honestly think, I thought it was uh, nowhere near as close as um, some of the replays made it look. Mm. But... Overall, it just, yeah, was it, like that moment uh, with the goalmouth scramble where I'm fairly certain Andrew Durante actually appealed for handball 
against Jamie Young, which <laughs> you know it happens. He, I know the um, yeah, I know the commentators were saying that they thought Durante was appealing for handball, and considering the only hander to come off was Jamie Young's, that's kind of where I got to that point. But um, it was a bit of a nervous moment there, Adam. Yeah, it was. Um, like I said, it was. Uh... It was a close call, but again, I think I think if it went to VAR, as far as you know, if it had gone in, it sort of you know, ricocheted off you know, Brown's head and gone in. I I got a feeling that that goal gets gets overturned anyway. I think that Durante was looked like he was in a offside position. Um, I'm sure he didn't mean to, but it's one of those passive ones. And when you're talking about you've got seven or eight players in that six-yard box, which that scramble was. Yeah, it's very, very hard not to, uh, because Barisha's shot, from Barisha's shot, he definitely would look like he was in an offside position. But uh, actually, well, then again, you know, it couldn't be offside because um, Corey Brown was there. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one, uh, whether he whether he actually, I wouldn't say offside, I don't offside, but actually, did he interfere with, um, with, uh, with Jamie Young? So Well, that was also something that was picked up mm. by the broadcast a few, a few minutes afterwards going, oh, hang on. Because uh, you guys asked me about twenty minutes later, yep. saying, "Oh, what's happening with the um, yeah. with the extra no, replay?" Right. That and it was it because they side. picked up that it Simple was side. offside. Um, we will keep rolling just for, in the interest of time. Scott, any complaints about the uh, use of VAR to rule out the Dylan Wenzel? It didn't take goal? half an hour either. It was actually well used for a change. Adam, yep. That's uh, again. That's uh, one rare tick in the good good VAR. Uh, calls? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that was one of those clear and obvious ones. Who would have thought? Then, uh, Riku Danzaki, uh, I, I would love to know how much it would cost to sign him permanently because after the, after scoring that winner, he just... Yeah, whatever billion it would yen. take to sign him, the Raw should do it <laughs> right, because I'll, he's been... I'll uh, check my piggy bank, but... It was a great ball from Corey Bennett set him up, absolutely, but it was also a really, really strike. smart run. How about the ball from in Corey Brown the to defense set him up? I know Mark Rudin wasn't best pleased with his defenders in the way they dealt with it, but I thought it was a really, really clever run and a great finish, and I thought it was almost what the Raw deserved. They were coming home with that wet sail, and we've seen time and time again the Raw in the past have finished games with late goals and all the rest of it, but I thought it was a really, really well-worked goal. And how important could that those two moments be, the Danzaki goal... And the brown clearance off the line; those that could be season-defining for the raw. Those two moments. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I think if the raw do happen to go on and host a home final and have any sort of success after the season, this is going to be one of those games we look back on and go, "Well, geez." That's why you never leave a raw game early. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that. I'd nor, I'd, I normally say to Scott when we're at the ground, it's like, oh, is it that time already when the fans start heading for the exits and they've, they've missed they missed the winner? So, Marvel well, sucks, sucks to be them. But yeah, look about about um, about the whole thing, you know closing movement there. Um, yeah, a great great ball, great ball by Corey Brown to sort of see, but also so Ricky Denzaki. That's the the sign of his class is that he somehow, some way, looked like he was boxed in and covered, and all of a sudden broke free in the box and had enough time where basically he could pick his shot. And yeah, 
Ryan Scott didn't even react to it. I think he knew he was beaten the moment it left uh, Denzaki's foot. That was just a great play. But, and I think they're the players you want. You get the players that, you know, are going to stand up and provide at the death. That, to me, they're, they're the good players. And, um, yeah, I don't I don't know how Raw are going to go, or any A-League club for that matter, trying to keep him, because I think he's, he's a player of tremendous promise. Yeah, seven goals but, uh, this year, yeah, James. I don't think any of us thought he would be quiet. Disinfluential over the course of He's been absolutely fantastic floor. I think his future probably is in the J League, but if the Raw have a 1% chance of of signing him outright going forward, they've got to go for it. They've got to try and take it. He would be an absolutely fantastic addition long term for the Raw because he's been been great this year. He's been great this year without a pre season and trying to adapt to Australian football. Can you imagine how good he would be with a full pre season and then understanding Australian football? He could be. He could be an impact like, I dare I say it, some of the um, Visa players we've seen in the past here. Not to mention as well the fact that, like he did his interview after the match with Fox Sports uh, through a translator, so he's clearly still learning English and I would not be at all surprised if, you know, maybe give him a little bit more time and just getting that communication up as well because that's something you always hear you know when it comes to players from the continent moving over to the Premier League or whatever it is um, you know getting that getting through to that second season and breaking through the language barrier that sort of seems to find a way for them to uh, jump to a whole other level so hopefully that's something that uh, can uh, continue going forward now uh, there was the uh, very, very nervous moment at the end where Jamie Young, I think, palmed the ball onto, I want to say, Corey Brown's head, and it almost ricocheted back in before Scott Neville cleared it away. Uh, does that sound about right, Adam? Uh, yeah, there was. That was then um, it's, they, they couldn't even clear it out, and Connor Payne had a stinging shot that just went just went over the bar, and I think he knew. He, he knew it was on, so, yeah, it was, again, even after Denzaki scored and what we thought was the game winner, the Wesley Knight still had a chance to, you know, to equal up one more time. So, yeah, so for 60 minutes of sort of dourness because of, you know, of the conditions, that last half an hour is probably some of the best football you'll see, especially given the conditions and on a fairly chilly night. Yeah, definitely. And we did have uh, audio from the post-match press conference, but in the interest of time, I think we might just uh, continue to roll on because I did want to get to this Twitter question as well from, I believe it was Nick, who asked us... Um, basically right, I'll go first, and I, I don't like fans it. Booing I don't like it. I think he's match. a club legend up here in Brisbane. I'm going yes, no to let you lead this one off, Scott, because I think we've all got three fairly... For the Raw, well, it's actually been seven years because it was seven this. years ago this week the Raw beat the Wanderers in their third grand final. So that's how long it's been since he played here. But I think for what he gave for the Brisbane Raw, every time he was out there on that field, I don't think he should be booed. I don't think he's done anything in his time since playing for the Raw. For me, that warrants him being booed. Yes, he celebrated when he scored for Melbourne in the semi-final. So what? So what? Who cares? He scored a goal, let him celebrate. It's fine. I don't agree with the whole don't celebrate against your former club anyway thing. To me, it's a load of nonsense. If you score a goal, you can celebrate however you like. So to me... And when I think of best up, Bruce, I think of I think of the four goals against Adelaide, the grand final performances, and the final memory of him to me is the firing up of the crowd in, on Orange Sunday three against the Wanderers. I mean, to me, he he left on a high. He put everything into this club when he was here, and I don't I don't think booing him 
really does anything. Because that could be the last time we see him play, James, here in Brisbane. Of Redcliffe, whatever you want to say, because I think he's 35 now, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is almost the end of his career. And I think that kind of, that might have been what led to those comments last night, actually, thinking this is my last trip to Brisbane to play against the Raw, and he might have been hoping for a little bit more of a warmer reception. I thought it was a little disappointing. Maybe. But just as a counter to that, if it is going to be his final season and he did want it to be treated as such, shouldn't he have said it rather than getting everyone to assume? Yeah, look, I'm I'm of the agreement of Scott that I I don't like it. I, I don't like I said I don't like you know former players, especially players that have contributed to the Raw and the Raw's legacy as much as Bessar Brusha. I I have no problems if you thought that yeah he was you know play acting or whatever. I have no problems raining down the booze on that. That 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 to me that's no problems. But the moment his number flashed up on the board. I think that should have been a case of, you know what, let those like Scott and I that you know that appreciate what he's done, so sort of, you know, give them the polite clap off, and those people who don't like him or feel betrayed by him by leaving, just shut up, just shut up and don't say anything. Why, why do they have to? Why do people have to, you know, convey, you know, continue on? You know, like I said, this is a player that, that gave everything for the club. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, there are moments, there are moments in time that, you know, yes, I can understand that a lot of people were probably carrying on after the Gillespie incident, but when his number got, got shown on the board to come off, that's why, and he probably has every right to be upset. And I, I absolutely agree with him, and I think his, his comments were, were you know, justified that, you know, he was disappointed. And, you know, it just makes me think sometimes that, you know, some of these fans that were booing, were they even around in 2014? You'd hope so, given that it was the golden era of the Raw, but when they make action, do actions like that, it makes me wonder sometimes. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm sure they were around in 2014, and they were also the fans that probably left early and complained that they couldn't win the game 5-0 or whatever. But this is where I kind of have to, I suppose, take a bit of a fork in the road, because generally speaking, yes, I don't think you should boo... A returning legend of the club. However, I feel like there's also a certain statue of limitations in terms of uh, your contribution, your, your contributions versus um, what you do following that. Someone like Thomas Broich, if he ever gets booed, I would happily take the person that boos him out the back of the stadium and you know jam a railroad spike through their head. However, someone like Borussia, I'm not even sure that he is necessarily seen as an out-and-out raw player anymore. I honestly feel... I honestly associate him more with his time with Melbourne Victory than his time with Brisbane because while he might have been the Robin to Broich's Batman during uh, those last two uh, grand final wins, I kind of see him just more as a footballer rather than a Brisbane raw player. I don't put him on that same level as, you know, a Matt Mackay. I don't see him on the same level as uh, Thomas Broich, who admittedly was with the club... Like He only played part of his career with the Raw, but that's all I ever remember for Thomas Broich. I don't remember him that same way as Michael Theo, who, yes, had some success in Melbourne victory uh, colours, but his, I would say, crowning achievements did come here in Brisbane. I just honest And honestly, he was with the club for three years. He's been gone for seven. That's more than double the length of time. 
And I do feel like you have a lot of fans do have a right to be frustrated with him. I probably wouldn't have booed him as he came off. I would have heckled him relentlessly during the game. But no, that's fine. That's fine. But I also would have just happily just let him go off and have yeah. his moment. But th- I also do think that if he had have come off as a like and said this is going to be my final appearance in Brisbane, I do think that would have brought about a very different reaction. But that's just where I land on it, and I I just I, got I've got I just got one sidebar. Um, a yep. question for you, but also as well, I think as well, some resonate for our listeners as well, is that how how would players, like, they play, like, Brisbane played Melbourne City this week. Jamie McLaren, for example, who I know he, he's not a polarising figure like a Bessart Barisha, but would, would people, if he did something jerkish, would people boo him? But I know, I know he's, like I said, he's, he's scored as many goals at Melbourne City as he has for the Raw. But again, he's a player that is of great stature, given you know, his contribution to the club, albeit not in a successful time. But still, you know, 40, 40 goals in two seasons for him, that's still a hell of a legacy for Brisbane Raw. Yet, he's going around at the moment playing you know, for Melbourne City. I don't, I don't... Okay, just to answer that, I don't see Jamie McLaren as a club legend either. I wouldn't put him on the same tier as Bessart Barisha in terms of achievements with the Raw but I do think he was a very good striker that had a couple of good years with the Raw um, and then went on to better his career I do think that he's a wuss for returning to the A-League because if he does want to better his uh, (laughs) career he should have gone and stayed in Europe rather than just being a flat track bully in the A-League but again that's a story for another point in time No, I can't Uh, agree I can't disagree with that to be honest (laughs) but yeah I, I honestly just think that to me there's a difference and as I have said before like the big difference is, as you uh, your quote there, Adam, is that his uh, Barisha is a polarizing figure. That's the difference. Where Barisha, yes, he was you know the guy everyone loved to hate when he came to the league, obviously for his you know getting into it, Pascal Boscart and everything. But on that, and look, I I loved that moment. I will remember it very very fondly. But in his time since, I honestly feel like there's been quite a lot That's in a bit the harsh. negative columns. I don't think he got... I, don't, well. I think that some of the stuff that had really he done in a Brisbane anyway, jersey, like, for instance, getting sent off twice just after announcing his move to Melbourne victory. And not to... <laughs> oh! But, yeah, but I, I'm still going to hold that against him because we know he is one of those firebrand characters. So, yeah... Again, I'm not necessarily keen about booing him when he came off, but I do understand why he might not be held in that same esteem as some of the actual club legends and Hall of Famers that we've produced. Oh, but, then, but then again, you, you, I, I can't see as far as... We're talking about club legends. You know, you mentioned Thomas Broach. You, you mentioned Matt Mackay, who are both you know one-club uh, players. Uh, yeah, they're abso- absolutely. They're... they're, they're uh, there's no question about that, but I think Bessar Barisha. I think he deserves. I think he deserves to be up there. I I, I don't think yet. You know, without him, like you, no, it's, like it, me, it's, it's all, all it's, con- um, contributing. Oh, I think that, yeah. So yeah, him and Michael Theo. I think that's, that's, that's right the, up there. Yeah, the four don't win these two that I see as club legends don't forget at the moment. His record you know, in big and, games for the Raw was exemplary as well. And I think that is almost. I think that to, to yeah, a certain yeah. degree has almost been forgotten because it's been so long. Since it happened, and he has played for other clubs longer than he did for the right, I think that's been a bit forgotten. But 
I'd love to best. see him come back next year. Heck, I'd love to see him, I'd love to see the Raw sign him. They won't do it, but I'd love to see them pick him up next year. He scores goals. Yeah, and I'm sure. Yes. Oh, I've got no interest. I've got no interest in signing him for next year. I reckon you're signing the name rather than an actual player. Does he? Well, it won't be Borussia, that's if, for sure. If you say so. Anyway. Three, two, ones for this game. Um, I just realised that was my turn, and I'll actually have to look up my uh, votes from oh, last actually, night. So, I'll, if either of you have, he was a great player when he was here. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so, well, Scott, do you have any final thoughts on no uh, Borussia? There we go. Okay. Uh, I've got my vote, so that was. Uh, thank you for helping pad that as the producer chimes in. And uh, she's not a fan of Barisha either. Um, three votes for me, Riku. Two votes, Josh Brindle South. One vote, Scott Neville. And I could have very easily thrown in Kai Truen and a couple of other players as well, Corey Brown. It was, yeah, just, yeah, it was a good night. Okay, let's move on to the big news story that came out via Ed Jackson of AAP. And that was the, uh, Jamie Young has apparently been shopping himself around to up other clubs. Um for next season. Now, I do want to preface this by saying, I think on behalf of all three of us, Ed is a really good reporter, and I am not doubting his uh, reporting by any stretch. I just really, really, really hope he's wrong on this one as a fan, because I don't want Jamie Young to leave. I honestly would almost put him in the club legend status, Adam. Yeah, look, uh, look, I think Ed's just reporting, you know, what's out there, where there, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't, I did, I don't think this is a uncommon th- thread across the A League. You know, there's going to be a lot of players that are either up for contract or looking for, you know, better deals or agents speaking whatnot. Especially with all the uncertainty when we spoke about. You know, we've spoken about on the show recently about all the uncertainty that's going on about, you know, no no future TV rights deal. You know, the CBA, you know, coming up. You know, how big is the salary cap going to be? Or is there going to be a salary cap? You know, there's a lot of questions. I think, you know, agents and players themselves are just trying to get ahead of it. So, look, I I do hope it's the it's doesn't true and that he, uh, he at least honours his last year of his contract. But, um... But yeah, I'm not surprised that this is out there. But I don't think it's as a case of oh, Jamie Young is sick yeah, of look, he, sick of the raw. Like, I've seen comparisons of oh, Scott McDonald and Jamie Young and Corey Gillespie. Like you, James, I hope it's the, wrong. I hope it is wrong because he's been to me. Stories, is, I think it completely he's not the best keeper in, keeper in the league. He's certainly right up there, and he's been he's been absolutely brilliant for the raw for almost the whole time of his year. He had that shaky start, but but since he really did get that job off Michael Theo, he's just been a mainstay at the Raw in goal and I, I, would, I wouldn't want to see him play for another A-League club but it sounds like it's oh, at least yeah. a possibility for him and Ooh. it would be a shame but it, it kind of raises questions though about the Raw in terms of the experience walking out the door and I'm just curious as to why I'm not saying it's I'm not sure what it is but because Scott McDonald left last week we know what happened there and Jamie sounds like he might be looking to leave as well I, I No, we haven't actually. Yeah, funnily enough, we haven't heard anything about a mysterious ankle injury from the PR firm, have we? 
No. Well, that's good. Um, and and it, look, even if Young does say, you know, that he's leaving at the end of this season, we all know he is the ultimate professional and will come out and continue to bust his backside for however many games he has left with the Raw. Um, but on that as well, I just... I keep getting drawn back into the idea of are the Raw just going to go full academy next year? Obviously, we, we've talked about the possibility of a domestic transfer transfer system and, you know, is it going to be a case of, you know, we'll see the likes of Macklin Freak coming through, will we see Jordan Courtney Perkins, uh, Hashan Ramazani, you know, just, just to name a few. And then you wind up, you know, with a handful of experienced players like a Tom Aldred, Scott Neville, Jack Hingett, etc etc just filling out some of the uh, other spots in the squad just to provide a little bit of guidance for what could very well be a young team because again I don't need to relitigate this point of saying just play the kids doesn't work no it's all about it's all about balance um, but again it, it's hard to know and I keep on alluding back to until there is a roadmap and we till we know what the league is going to look like in a year's time um it's a lot of it's a lot of this recruiting and a lot of retaining is is all in the dark. We like I said, and I think you know, and that's got I think a lot of players nervous as far as their future goes. Um, you can very very easily see that you know more experienced players might get pushed out of the way at the raw for the sake of you know of bringing through the kids. Uh, in case of say McCoy Gillespie, um, there might be uh, maybe you know time it might be time to go home. You know it's it's. There's a lot of uncertainties at the moment. I don't think it's just a, it's just a matter of oh, yeah. dissatisfaction within the club at the moment. Change, maybe right, maybe there is. I don't know. Really I think it's, it's so many questions around. I think there's no one right or wrong answer. Third, I think it's just a case of wait and see what happens. In their final year, they went they went all in on their kids. They won the youth league two years in a row. I thought right, we're going to play all these young kids together, and they didn't have enough quality experience around them. They had some experience, but they didn't seem to have the right experience players around them. So you've got to be careful that, yes, you've got to have experienced players with them, but they've got to be the right players and the right characters to, to go with it. So that if they're going to go down that path, they better make sure they've got the right players with experience around them. I'm not saying they do or they don't. I'm saying that's what they've, they've got to have that they've got to have that right, because that's what did Gold Coast in, and that's what did Central Coast in as well. It also helped Central Coast in the year, sorry, 2010-11, when they made the grand final with Amini, Abini, and Matt Ryan and Sainsbury and all the like, because they had the right leaders around them. Guys like yeah, Alex Wilkinson, John Hutchinson, Matt Simon, Pedge Bowich, Josh Rose. They had the had the right experienced players around them. You've got to get the right mix if you're going to do it, James. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. Patrick sounds right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and to me, if you are looking for the right kind of experience, Jamie Young is, you know, example 1A of that kind of right experience because like we've all spoken to him. He's a very smart guy, very, you know, considered and probably one of the most mature like professional athletes I think I've spoken to. Yeah, absolutely. Now, like I said, you, you don't want him to go, but um you don't want to go, but you know we'll see what happens. Just a just a very very quick point as well is that you know this youth team at the moment, the MPL team at the moment, is just kicking. That is just really you know doing well at the moment. That didn't happen overnight. That that that's happened over you know probably eighteen months or two seasons. 
problem is, is that I don't think in the A-League there is enough of a window or enough patience to allow a predominantly young team to have the time to gel like they have this in the MPL. Like, it, the patience is going to run out very, very quickly. So I, if they're thinking, oh, we can go two years, you know, rebuild and all that, it doesn't happen in the A-League. And, you know, people will lose their jobs over that. Yeah. Although, I suppose the only counter for that, and the final thought before we move on, um, is, you know, if you are in a position where you do need to, I suppose, take a bit of a hit, this may be the best time to do it because... If you are bringing through a youth team uh, that has gelled in the NPL and does have those sort of established combinations, at a time when, you know, we're probably going to have to see the clubs cut um, some salaries and costs all over, that may be the best way to work around it. All right, moving on. FFA Cup draw, that took place last night with Simon Smale and Michael Thwaite on the Football Queensland Facebook page. And Simon did a fantastic job drawing the balls out of the tub. I actually don't know what they call their bucket. I don't know. Thing. Ask it, FIFA. Yeah. Uh, so, quick run through of the round six fixtures. Sunshine Coast Surface Paradise Apollo. Logan against Lions. Gold Coast Knights Holland Park Hawks. Brisbane City Southwest Queensland Thunder. Southside Eagles Olympic FC. And Peninsula Power against Ipswich Knights. Yes. Um, full draw is available on the Football Queensland website and our social accounts. I'm looking accounts. forward to actually Surface Paradise Apollo versus Sunshine Coast because, Wanderers well, because they've Surface the Paradise have beaten the Mitchelton. They've beaten Capella in the last... Scott. Two What's rounds? your standout tie from it's this round six? It's a long uh, trip up six. to Budrum from Surface Paradise, obviously, but they've clearly got the quality. And as the last like real local league side left, all the rest are in their MPL or FQPL. I think they've got a real opportunity, and we've seen it before. Surface Paradise have gone on long FFA Cup runs. I give them a decent chance in that game. That's what it's the most interesting, anyway. The rest, I think, are for the most part relatively straightforward. And just on that as well, the winner of the Sunshine Coast Surface of Paradise, <laughs> Surface Paradise will play the winner of Gold Coast Knights Holland Park Hawks. Adam, what's your standout tie? Uh, yeah, look, I actually think Brisbane City, Southwest Queensland Thunder. Son I think of that a... Looks... <laughs> oh, it's pretty obvious if you think about it. But yeah, uh, but yeah look, I think that's, that's going to be a very, very interesting game. I think Brisbane City as well, it's more than just about meeting a FQPL fellow FUPL side in there as well. They would have grand designs of being of you know going on not only through, you know, win this, but then in round round seven, you know, a potential rematch against um Lions FC should they get past Logan. So which, you know, brings us a super classico in uh round seven. That that would be a big occasion at uh Spencer Park or CTM Stadium because it will be the only super classico of the season. And they'll, they'll be up for that. But um but also, just talking about round seven as well, we did. We, I, I know Scott and I spoke about it on the Sunday night show. Um, the four, the big four, with only three spots. Unfortunately, it was Olympic and Peninsula Power that's going to have to battle out for one spot to go through to the national round. So, if should both those teams get through round six, they meet each other in round seven, and that's going to be high stakes. You know what? You couldn't believe. Very much so. I will just quickly also say as a secondary option, Logan Lightning, Lions FC, that is going to be a very interesting match because I do th- I'm, I do think Lions will probably edge it, but I can see uh, Logan giving them a real scare 
Uh, if Rick Coughlin just gets his tactics right, I think he's going to be... I think he may have a way to trouble some of those uh, Lions players. So I wouldn't rule it out, but I think if Logan are going to win, it's probably going to have to be something like 4-3 or 5-4. In a, well, I don't want to say shootout because I, then people might think I think it'll go 120 minutes to penalties, but I think there'll be quite a few goals in that fixture. Um, and should, uh, should we see a couple of... Well, the other uh, option for round seven there, Thunder versus Lightning. It will be the first meeting between those two sides since last season's epic FQPL grand final at Parc de Paris. So there's that as well. Now, uh, Raw, they're on double duty this weekend. Um, But before I do that, just a quick reminder for the NPL Sunday show featuring Scott and or Adam. Uh, coming out, weirdly enough, every Sunday night on our podcast feed. So make sure you subscribe to the feed so you can get all the Brisbane football review uh, audio goodness. Moving on. Now, uh, Raw, they're doing double duty in round 20 of the A-League season, starting with a trip to Melbourne City this Sunday afternoon. It was 1-0 to uh, to Melbourne City in round one, thanks to... It was a fairly scrappy game from memory, but the Raw did their best to try and create some chances. The big question here, uh, well, well, at least very, for me, Scott, is uh, how many changes will Warren Moon make? Oh, I think and how many do you think will be enforced in because game, they'll so have heavy legs from They've got no option uh, but to make changes. Too much they've got double pitches. duty in round 20. They've got 21 and 22 and 23 and so on because of the fact they've got so many fixtures to play. So they're going to have to make changes. And what it looks like, I don't think Tom Alder will be back, but if he is, he will probably come straight in. If not, maybe we maybe we see Patrick Flotman making a start in the centre of defence. I'm sure Jack Hingett James will come back into the wing-back position as part of a rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesse Daly and Ramon Bari swap around once again. And in the front third, Masato Kudo started on, the, on Saturday, not involved yesterday. I'm pretty sure he'll be involved on Sunday down in Melbourne. And maybe, maybe either Riku or Joey C drop out as well, just as a rotational thing. I think there'll be a fair few changes, actually. They've got no choice. I do have to ask, purely because... Like, they're all on a seven-game unbeaten streak, so their form line... They'll want to keep it going... But I do wonder if if you're pushing all your chips in towards one match, I do feel like the Mariners game next Wednesday is the far more winnable of the two, Adam. Do you try and, I suppose, prioritise that fixture over um, this one? Uh, look, it's a difficult one. I think... I would think probably not. I would say the Mariners game, I think, is probably, as you said, is probably more winnable, especially being at home as well. Um, Melbourne City, mind you, they are they are coming off um, pretty much the same turnaround as well. They 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 beat Perth in the late game last night, so so they're they're also going to be at least. I know they're not they haven't played like three games in seven days, uh, like like the Raw, but um, yeah, they're they're on a short turnaround as well. And it's also, this is yeah, a really it's going to be interesting to see if the, um, fifth on the yeah, table both teams now, James, is eighteen games but played. But I think the Mariners are going to play the more winnable game City, as well, and also and being they play at them home. this weekend, they're eight points behind them. They got two games in hand on Central Coast, and they're only two points behind them. They could rocket themselves right up into potentially hosting week two of the finals if they can get points out of these two games. It's a massive 
massive week for the Raw this coming up. I mean, it's it's a big ask to go to Melbourne City and get a result the way they're going at the moment, and particularly with the Raw in Melbourne, we know it's not their favourite ground to play at, to say the very least. So it's a tough ask, but if they can if they can get out can get a point down there in Melbourne, James, and beat the Mariners at home, they've set themselves up for a chance to potentially finish in the top two, which is would be a remarkable achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the next point I wanted to get on to and probably the final point is the, a home final, or not just a home final, but a home semi-final is very much in play for the Raw over the next couple of weeks. And look, it is going to be a big ask. I think the players will probably have earned their holidays by the end of the season with the frantic schedule. But it's also one of those times where you look back and think they've actually recruited quite well across the park having the depth to try and cover a lot of these uh, issues and, you know, potential, fi- excuse me, potential fixture congestion that you could have planned for but not expected at the start of the season, Adam. Yeah, but I don't know if they would have expected a fi- fixture congestion like this where basically they, are, they are playing, you know, every, every three days so for the, for the rest of the way. So it's it's going to be interesting as well. And I'd be, and I think we also as well, we should sort of maybe temporary expectations as well that, you know, and it's important at the moment that they're picking up points at the early stage of this long, you know, congested run because, you know, late, later, you know, later down the track, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, you know, it, it makes me wonder how that, you know, that at some point there is going to be a dip, you'd think, that, you know, players will just be, just be mentally and physically tired. And we may have to expect that, you know, a game like, you know, maybe looking down the schedule, maybe Newcastle or Western Sydney, I think, you know, that's the sort of game where you think, oh, geez, you know, that was a very flat performance. And I think as well, they, they're not, unfortunately, they're it's not a good robots. Point that and I think Adam that's is, where we go. got temporary expectations. expectations. It's a fine balance while they're between, playing well and while they're playing between to, going know, for the top two you know, spot football, and potentially wearing you know, yourself out or going into the finals with a bit of freshness. Because the last thing they'd want to do is go all out, get to the get to second or something, and be completely flat in the semi-final because they've burned up all their energy to get there. And that's where the rotation is going to have to come in, and that's why it's going to be a tough ask because I think it's going to be a pretty heavily rotated squad down there on Sunday. But they've got to do it. They've got no choice. They have to make sure. There's no point burning themselves out in this next three or four weeks and then costing themselves a flat performance in the finals because that's where you want to peak. So yes, there's a lot of games and they've got to win them, but you want to peak at the right time as well. It's a tough balance. Yep. It is. Good luck to uh, Warren Moon trying to manage that balance. Uh, bet better him than me because I would just say change your batteries, robots, and get out there. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see over the next uh, few weeks uh, to see how everything gets managed. All right. Uh, the Raw so, Mariners I think we ahead. will call that a day on this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. And we'll finish off with our usual point. Scott, what are we going to be talking about this time next week? Adam. Uh, Raw, Raw continue to climb up the ladder um, with, with two solid performances. And I'm going to say Raw frustrate Melbourne City for 0-0 draw. 
before turning on the Jets against the Mariners for a comfortable win. Um, and actually, well, I think that's what you guys will be talking about next week because I probably should mention now, I won't be in uh, for this edition next week saying, because the, I will be um, down in Byron for James, a friend's wedding, one of COVID postponed ones. So if our ratings spike uh, next week, I may not be back. So then I'll also thinking, oh, the Sunday show host has to take over. <laughs> That's why I got in before uh, you could uh, get your little snarky remark in, Mr. Mourinho. How dare you? I can... <laughs> How dare you? That's a, that's, yeah, and just re- just remember when you when you're hosting the big show, you don't get five takes to do, to get your introduction right. Talk to you again, James. Talk to you again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that, so that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you, Scott. Yes, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back in a fortnight. I hope. Um, otherwise, we'll be back to recap all the football on the NPL Sunday Show and the regular edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Make sure you get out to a local ground this weekend as well. There's all sorts of excellent NPL action. And we'll be back to recap it all next week. <laughs>